Hold on just a minute, Pastor. We'll continue in just a well, Come stand right up here. I'm going to invite Diane to come stand up here with you as well. It, I, Dan does, and Diane did not know this was going to happen. So, uh, it wasn't on the program. It was not on the program. It was, that's fine. But uh, we're glad to have Diane. Diane's been in Florida for a few weeks caring, helping care for her mother, and we're so glad to have you back with us this morning, Diane. Uh, for those that are visiting, my name is Mark Acuff, and um, I have a few words I'd like to say. Dr. Dan and Diane Peters, following the service this morning, you will hear many, many thank yous and comments of appreciation from your friends. But at this time, we'd like to offer a collective word of thanks. So I speak on behalf of the entire congregation of Wake Chapel Church. We thank God that he has allowed us to walk this part of the great adventure alongside you. You have been comfort, encouragement, servant, teacher, and shepherd to each one of us. And we have benefited immeasurably from your ministry and your service and your wisdom. Our hearts are full. They're full of joy. And at the same time, they're sprinkled with sadness. But we know that just as you said in your first sermon, you're not the permanent senior pastor for this congregation. You simply came in obedience as the one preparing the way. And you both have prepared the way very, very well. Dan, you've preached God's truth to us without compromise, but always, always with love. You've used your personal experiences, props, and humor to put God's word where we could understand it and where we could apply it. It was non-negotiable for you as it was for our pastor emeritus, Ross Marion, who we're thrilled to have with us today. And as we know it is for our new senior pastor, Isaac Mooneyham. It's true also for Seth and for David. Our lives are forever changed and we're most grateful to God and to you for your unconditional love for us and for your servant leadership of this plot flock these past 10 months. We pray for you all the best in the next stage of your walk with the Lord. You're an inseparable part of the fellowship of this church now and always. So this special Lord's Day of many, many celebrations, we don't say goodbye. Rather, as we sing each week, at the close of the service, we simply say, until we meet again, we love you very much. God bless you and thank you. may be seated except Isaac. Come on. <laughs> this is the first time I'm serving as an interim and I'm just learning the ropes and they say that I should stay until I pass the baton to the new pastor. Well, never having been an athlete, 
I never had a baton, and I don't have one to pass. I was thinking about passing the torch, maybe. But that could be dangerous, too. But then I got thinking about Pastor Isaac's message. Yes, we've been thinking about your message. Pastors like it when you think about their message. And he preached on that Wednesday night about how the Word of God is central to his ministry. And he preached from Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And he told us that was the short Roman sword. We were paying attention. And, uh, and so I got a short Roman sword. And I know it's authentic because I got it on eBay. (laughs) And uh, I got an inscription put on it that says, The passing of the sword. The word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Hebrews 4.12, July 29th, 2018. And and, uh, I just want to say to you, Isaac, uh, I want you to use this on the devil, not the congregation. Okay? So we have the passing of the sword. So let me... Come on up here. There's one for two of us up here. I'm going to pray, and, and I just want to lead us in a prayer. Father, I thank you for this servant that you have sent, this under-shepherd, I thank you, Lord, for the preparation of his mind and heart, for how you've used him as a pastor many years already, how he shepherds his wife and children for your glory. I pray, Lord, that you would fill him with your spirit and use him for your glory to feed the flock of God that is here at Wake Chapel Christian Church. May he preach the word in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you. Thank you. Thank all of you. And thank you, Dan. Uh, this is special to me. Uh, I don't have one. I do now. And I'm trying to figure out where I should put it. I'll put it right here. And uh, it's representation figuratively of the book that I hope each of you have in your lap will be our guide. And uh, when I was ordained years ago, I was handed a new Bible. They call that an ordination Bible, and I remember very vividly Dr. Harold Wilmington telling me that is the only book you are qualified to speak from. And really, you're not qualified at that. You stand under its authority, and if you'll stay in that position, you'll be fine. So I thank you. Thank you so much for everything. Uh, All the way back last August when I met your search committee chairman 
uh, through this this last visit a couple of uh, several weeks ago in 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 June over here at the Family Life Center. That service is a lot different than this one. <laughs> Same family, but a, a, quite a different service. And uh, your hospitality and generosity uh, was known well before I ever met you through your search committee. They represent you well, and their kindness to me uh, and my family has been remarkable. And today is here, the big day. We've waited for this. And uh, I, I wish I could express to you what... what all of this, this journey wrapped up into a big ball, but perhaps we'll have the time to do that uh, after dinner when we have the time to speak. My family's with me, uh, my boys, my daughter, where's she? She's somewhere, okay. And uh, my father-in-law is here and his wife. I've got some friends in the back that came from Danville. They're having a hard time saying goodbye. <laughs> uh, and, and we'll see how long they can make the two-hour trip to get accustomed to that. And I had an unexpected privilege this morning. I met your pastor, Ross Marion, and uh, was very grateful to be able to do so. It's quite an honor. Your fingerprints of faithfulness are all over this place. I saw them the moment I walked in, and I've seen more of them today. And uh, in time, I hope we'll have a lot to talk about. But let's open our Bibles. And we're going to look in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8. We're going to read a narrative as Nehemiah describes to us something that happened on another very special day where people were gathered to listen to the reading of God's Word. And what I've decided to do is to read through this, but I'm going to skip a portion There are a number of proper names in this passage, lots of them, and they are very hard to pronounce, and I will no doubt mispronounce them. So they're there for you if you like to do homework of pronouncing Old Testament proper names in Hebrew. I hope you'll do that this afternoon. (laughs) But for this portion, and if you happen to have a, a translation other than the ESV, which I'm reading from, it might be beneficial to just listen along and paint in your mind with your imagination that God gave you what this looked like as it happened. And then we'll go back through that a verse at a time as we study. But in verse 1, chapter 8, the book of Nehemiah, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood six men on his right hand and seven men on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. 
And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, 13 men, Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Verse 9, Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, with our Bibles open, we ask that you open our heart, open our mind, that you would quiet the distractions, you would focus our attention on your word, that we may be the student and you may be the teacher. If we can do that today, it's been time well spent in your house and for your glory. I ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Well, last month, and you've heard a little bit about this with the sword presentation. Perhaps you were there in the Family Life Center when uh, we, well, I've always heard it called a trial sermon. Sounds very scary. I suppose I passed. But, and, and, and this being the actual first Sunday service, it's not every day that a pastor has the opportunity to deliver his first Sunday morning message, which is something that I hope I do not have again anytime soon. <laughs> and Lord willing, we'll have many of these together. But what we talked about then, our focus was on the one resource most precious to us as Christians, the one thing that the world cannot offer. It was the church that was entrusted with the words of their living God. And that's what we have. Now, if the focus was on our precious resource that Wednesday, this morning, our focus is on what we're to do with it, especially in a setting like this on the first day of the week. On a weekly basis, we call that the Lord's Day. We gather together, this, your church family, your faith family, body of believers, at 1030, when we gather to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Most of that meeting is going to be given over to either the reading, or the singing, or praying, or teaching, or preaching the words of God. So this passage was chosen this morning as a template, a guideline, as to something that's been going on much longer than this church, as long as it's been around, and others like them. But way back millennia ago with God's chosen people, even further down their long list of dramatic history, they were doing this very thing. So if the Word of God, our 
our greatest resource is what we focus on most of all, we're going to be spending a lot of time together in it. So what do we do with our time? And there's a lot of thought given over to this type of thing, especially as churches change, churches are in transition, uh, as new churches are built, and older ones tragically close their doors. Do we get together to talk about something new? Do we put our thoughts together and hope to be innovative? Do we lean back on something old, something tried and true? I think we're going to find a little bit of all of that in our passage this morning. To know about these people and to put ourselves in their shoes will need a little bit of background on how they got to where they are. And if you recall in your Bible study or even back in Sunday school with the, the flannel graph, and I saw that you still use the flannel graph. That's good. <laughs> Lots of learning happens with the flannel graph. But if you remember Abram, how many kids did Abram had? have? None. But Abraham, his name was changed to Abraham, and he started off with one. And then there was Isaac. And Isaac's son was Jacob. Jacob had a lot of sons. And they made up the 12 tribes of Israel. They spent a lot of time in Egypt. Their brother helped them out during a famine. And then it was time for them to leave. The Pharaoh who came behind didn't know who they were and thought them a threat. So Moses takes them out of Egypt and into the promised land. Once they get to the promised land, everything seems to be fine. They decide they want a king. And Samuel told them it was a mistake. It's too early. But they jumped the gun and they got the wrong guy, Saul. After Saul, they wound up with the right guy by God's leading, David, the man after God's own heart. You remember him. Then his son, known as the wisest man in all the world, had two sons, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and they split the kingdom in half. And then this long, dramatic line of history between good kings and bad kings, both in the northern tribes and the southern tribes, which ended in decline and ultimate collapse and a military defeat and exile as they were carted off into a foreign land to live as slaves. And then, after Babylon was defeated by Persia, one of these men decided by influence of the Lord to let them go back to their homeland, to Israel. There were a number of waves that this took, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther had to do with each of these. This being one of the latter waves of people going back to their homeland and rebuilding a wall. And on the first of the year, this is what we just read, how they sat under the Word of God through the old book of the Law of Moses. Now think about it. These people weren't born in Jerusalem. Judea, even Samaria. They were born in what we would call the uttermost parts of the world, under exile. So for them, this old book, in many ways, perhaps might have been quite new to them, to actually observe a feast in the location it was meant to be observed in. So they're hearing a lot of these things fresh. And in a room like this, who knows who's hearing something fresh and who's heard it longer than I've been alive. But in so many ways, the old is new and the new is old. But let's look at what they did. And there'll be six points. 
Now, I gave you three last time on a Wednesday, but today was supposed to be a big day, so I doubled the points. <laughs> Actually, six of these look like they jump right out of the text, and to do less wouldn't be to explain it right. So there are six, but they should move faster. Number one is these people, and all of these will be three words. They'll start with the word they, and the first point is they gathered expectantly. I think this will be easy enough to see. If we go back to verse 1, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book. That's the title of the message. The law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought it before the assembly. There you've got the men and women and all who can understand. And they did this on the first day of the seventh month. Now when it says that the people gathered as one man... I think it's easy enough to understand that that means not that they all looked the same or that they were packed very tightly, but that they were there for the same reason. They're all on the same page. They were unified in their purpose for gathering, and it's easy enough to see that by what takes place next. It says they told Ezra to bring the book. That was their focus. They wanted to hear from God's Word. Not so much from Ezra, though Ezra was an accomplished scribe and priest. That was his job. He's very good at it. But the objective that day is to hear from the voice of God through His Word. And if we ask ourselves, who's there? Men and women and all who could understand what they heard. I think it's obvious that men and women refer to adults. And all those who could understand what they heard is likely a reference to children up to a certain point. And this is not about age, as any mother would know. Not every child is able to understand what they hear, uh, but at different ages. So it looks as as if the whole family's here in on this. In other words, the youth group too. (laughs) They aren't somewhere else. The whole family's together, except for the little ones. Now, what did they do after they arrived expectantly? That's point number two. They listened attentively. You know, we read this. He read from it, that is the Bible, from early morning until midday. This service might feel like that. (laughs) It's not my intention. It's not an excuse either. But they did this in the presence of, again, the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. That really makes complete sense. If you're going to arrive expecting to hear from the Word of God, it makes sense that you should pay attention to it. And these people were. Now, how many of you heard that Americans have a short attention span? Do you agree with that? I don't know if I buy that. Not like it's sold, because in my experience, Americans have a fine attention span for whatever they're interested in. But if they're not interested in it, not so much. And it has to do with our priorities, our worldview, what's, what's valued, what's important and what's not. That has to do with the way we teach our children. But as, as, as far as a church goes, and as far as a mature Christian and their church attendance, don't think just because you're a Christian and you've attended church 
for some time that you will by instinct have a developed taste for the word of God you'll have to work on that uh, it, it, it's described as renewing your mind and if you're a new convert having been completely and totally changed there's so many things about the old man that will in time fall off and the new man will have to be brought on and that is about as fun as teaching your children to eat their vegetables sometimes they have to grow into a taste for it there's certain things that I'm beginning to like at, at 40 pickles that I would, couldn't have cared less for spiritually speaking is no different you'll have to acquire the taste and that attention will need to be turned into an affection for the word of God that will be important in your development within the church you attend regularly number three they responded reverently we read of their response here Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for that purpose now reverence and respect is showing a deep solemn respectful value that's what respect and reverence means and where this box this platform that was made that was wooden I think that plays into this and I'll show you how I, I see this come together but I did I do remember uh, a teacher that I learned a great deal from who used this passage to say that pulpits shouldn't be made out of plexiglass and uh, he betrayed his own personal conviction and preference in doing so I happen to agree with him I like a wooden pulpit and the bigger the better while many of the people I graduated with are getting rid of them there isn't a pulpit at all I don't know where they set their Bible in fact the, the church where your search committee came to hear me preach the, the last time they had to pull their pulpit out from around the corner and made the joke that only me and my father still use the thing so I have my, my preferences for this and, and really we aren't given word that, that they were supposed to make this out of wood uh, the Ark of the Covenant we know exactly how it was supposed to be built and what it was supposed to be built out of quite specific but you've visited other churches and, and I'm not saying one thing and I don't even know that I can support this concretely but look as you follow through there's 13 men on this platform and they likely gave Ezra a break no man could read for six hours with the same voice I don't think it makes sense that they shared this responsibility and it says that they're all standing there but notice there's no change in the behavior of the people who are listening up until one specific point as he opened it that's the book all the people stood there's your behavior your, 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 your demonstration of reverence and respect for what? for the men standing on the platform we read about anything being said or done during the introduction of the men who are standing on the platform but at the opening of the book the people stood 
So what I gain from this is that the platform is not for the man. The platform is for the book. So what type of platform is befitting the oracles of God? The words of Almighty God. That's why there's certain architecture. That's why there's certain materials and colors and artistic design to make much of what's so precious to us. So if a building looks like a church and it looks like they do some reading and preaching and studying God's Word, that's a place where I'll feel comfortable. But perhaps one of these multi-purpose centers that's so multi-purpose you have no idea what's on tap for the afternoon. I'd like a big wooden box, even with a big light to shine, not on me but on the book. And I think that's the appropriate response. It, it goes on from there. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. All the people answered, Amen, Amen. I think they were Baptists because <laughs> the Presbyterians say, Amen, Amen. <laughs> and some people, well, it gets, read what happens next. They lifted their hands. Those probably weren't Baptists. So take that back. And they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. There's, there's, that's very serious. That seems to be the, quite the expression of reverence and respect. Now, lifting hands, there's nothing said here about singing, but I think singing praises is also a very uh, special expression created by God to say that very thing. Amen, which means so be it. All the songs we've sang so far this morning are basically saying amen. That these things we believe are precious to us and we say so be it. I agree. I concur. That's for me. I stand on that right there. Either a lifted hand or singing praises or saying amen or to the point where your conscience shames you into looking at the floor as your picture of Christ and His Father God becomes so big you begin to become small. These are reverent, respectful responses to the Word of God. So the big question is, what is the object of this response? We've already answered that. The platform, the amen, the lifted hands, bowed heads, faces to the ground. It's all worship, of course, but the object is God and that through and by His Word with reverence and respect. Number four. They understood completely. Now, I've got a qualification for that word completely here in a moment. But in verse 7, there's another 13 men named. And if you look at what they did, they helped the people understand the law while the people remained in their places. So it's the men, these Levites are in among the crowd. They're not up on the platform. They read from the book. They did too. So there must have been responsive type reading or rests in between sessions where there was all attention at the front and then attention to one of these Levites that's in your area. They read from the book of the law clearly and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Now isn't that just brilliant? How many of you would like whomever pastor you're listening to to just be clear? Some of the most 
gifted teachers that made the biggest difference in my life were clear, where I could understand it. You see, the word understanding here that's used is to perceive the intended meaning. If you're talking with someone at your home, communication happens when the idea in your brain is transferred to the brain of the person you're speaking to through words. And they understand when they can assemble those words into the meaning that you had in your head. It's called perception. That's why we say, okay, I see. You see it. The light bulb comes on. Got it. And when it happens, you've got it. So to get a hold of God's Word and understand it is important. The word clearly used here, they read from the law of God clearly. That means allowing easy and accurate perception. Uh, Some of you were at the beach last week. I know you were. And I think the water was kicked up and it probably wasn't very clear. It's stained. Looks like the Atlantic in our neck of the woods looks most of the time. Every now and then, though, it'll flatten out and it'll really clear up. You stand chest high and look at your toes. You feel like you're in Florida or something. That's called clarity, so you can see. So if the purpose is understanding God's Word, clarity is of utmost importance. And for these men to clearly speak, that's not all. There's more. What did they do? They gave the sense, the principle, the prudence, the insight, the good sense or the common sense. And the word gave there in Hebrew means they laid it down. So, again, these men are laying it out for the people to understand it. Just like when I was a kid, my mom, and my mom not my dad, I almost said my dad, he would never have done this. My mom would lay my clothes out for me. I hope there's no... Grown men whose wives still lay their clothes out for them. <laughs> we can work on that. <laughs> but do you understand how that is laid out on, on the lower shelf where anybody can get it? Not up on a high shelf in some depository locked away for the educated and those with seminary degrees and Sunday school teachers and only they have that stuff. Bring it down low on the bottom shelf and put it in the lap of everyone, clearly, with the sense. That's the application to it, so they can use it. Now, I said they understood completely because it says here the people understood the reading. And what I mean by completely is not that they knew everything Ezra knew. Ezra studied a long time, but they knew enough of it to make it work in their lives on a basic level. Kind of like going to Lowe's, Home Depot here. You get a lawnmower, it's not put together yet. You've got to put the handle on and thread the kill switch up to the handle. And you've got to put gas in the motor and some oil in the crankcase. And if you've done it right, you can crank it if you close the choke first. And then open that up. Then you can cut the grass. It doesn't mean that you know everything about the internal combustion engine that works the lawnmower. You don't need to know that to cut the grass. There's certain things in this book you don't need to have the seminary degree for. Well, you need to know how to work it. It needs to know how to work you. The Lord didn't design this to be complicated. And clear teaching will bring it out so that the people understand. Then number five, they wept. They wept graciously. 
Verse 9, Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who taught the people, they said, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Now remember, this might be new to some of these people who are in their old homeland hearing the words given to Moses long ago. It might have been an emotional thing. And I suppose I could ask, when was the last time you wept under the sound of God's word? It doesn't happen all the time, but sometimes it does. Usually, again, as we're struck with the bigness of God and the smallness of ourselves. But to think, they're weeping. We could really go back to Hebrews 4.12. The reason why is because that living word cuts in order to expose. And that's painful. A lot of times we run away from that. We don't want to submit ourselves to the cutting, exposing word of God. It shows us how Jeremiah 17, 9 we are. How our hearts are desperately wicked. We can't know them. They lie to us. But if you recall from Wednesday, a month ago, it cuts and it exposes in order to heal. And if the Lord cuts you in order to heal you, then you can grieve, even weep graciously, thankfully, in a posture of, of, of having been blessed, healed, made well, made alive, as, as David spoke of, the things he was thankful for, that he's saved by grace from sin and from hell and from death. All of those things are bound up in this. Now, after they wept, they left. This is our final point, last one. Number six, they departed joyfully. This is the good part. Look at verse 10. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved. And here it is, folks. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. You can weep graciously knowing the joy of the Lord being your strength. Verse 11, that's exactly what they did. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. All the people went their way to eat and drink and spread portions, send portions and make great rejoicing. This day is a holy day, they said. That means it's set apart. There's really not any more complicated than that. Like this room. We call it the sanctuary. Sanctified means it's set apart. Out of reverence and respect for, for this book on this platform, in this room, there's a lot of things that go on in, in this church body that do not happen in this room. Only a few things happen in this room. It's set apart. So there are days set apart. There is the Lord's day. And the Lord says on His set apart day, you don't need to mourn like that. As if to say, you got the point. And if the grief is because of erring your, in, in, in your steps, in your heart. I remember back to times when I was disciplined by my father. The sweetest times of fellowship I ever had with my father was after he disciplined me for disobedience. 
Some people don't even understand what that means anymore. But what it's called is restoration, the relationship. And I'll never forget it the rest of my life. I think that might capture part of the spirit here. The people gathered expectantly. They listened attentively, responded reverently, including understanding and grief. And now they're leaving with joy, having exchanged their tears for a smile. This is where sometimes you can tell the difference between those in church that have been there a while, who followed the Lord in a long direction, they have a certain air about them. They're old saints of the faith because they've tested and tried the Lord and found Him to be true. And for some, the thought of, of having a, a book do a work on you, much like a, a surgeon's scalpel to, to open you up and show you where you don't measure up, and then to have that exchanged with a smile, just like that, for some folks that's a tough, that's a tough sell. Perhaps it's just because they haven't seen or tasted that the Lord is good. So I, I don't know what your week has been like. And I, can, I can truly say that. I'm the new guy here. And I'll get to know you, and you will get to know me. But for now, in a room this size, I have no idea what you've been through in this past week. I know a few, especially one family that I met from this family. And like that family, there's a family back home uh, almost in the same situation. This past Friday, I had the opportunity to make a visit with my father-in-law uh, to a friend of the family, which was my mother-in-law's who is in heaven, home of the Lord. This is her childhood friend's husband, who just, I would say, it's been shorter than two months ago, was diagnosed with, with cancer, brain cancer, and it affects his brain stem. And the doctors say he's got a week or two. So we went and made the visit. And we talked, and we remembered, and we laughed a little bit, we cried a lot more than that. I read some scripture to him, Romans 8, 18, that the sufferings of this life should never be compared with the glory that is to come. Do you know why I could leave that house with a smile on my face through tears? Same reason these people could leave on this day with a smile on their face through tears. Look at the very last line of verse 12. Why? Because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Your trust in God is directly proportional to how well you know Him, which is directly proportional to how much you know of His Word. That's how you get to know Him. You want to get to know the Lord? Read His love letters to you. He wrote it for the purpose of revealing himself to you, to comfort you, to build you up, to save you, to let you know of the plan of salvation in the first place. That's how we know when we understand his word. So if you've had a tough week, 
Hang in there. This day is set apart, holy to the Lord. So what do we have left to do? What these people have left to do? We need to get out of here. (laughs) And we've got a whole family life center full of food. (laughs) And the directions were to eat the fat. (laughs) So calories don't count. It also said drink sweet wine. I don't know if you're going to find any of that. But all that meant was it wasn't fermented yet. So it was sweet. Sweet tea. So find some calorie-laden food and some sweet tea and, and add this. If you know somebody who's not here today for one reason or another, fix them a plate before you leave, take it to them and tell them about what you learned in church today. And bring them back with you next time. But with that said, let's us end this message in prayer. And then we'll sing, and then we'll leave. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word. We're thankful for the opportunity for that word to do its work of change in our lives. We would all be most miserable and lost without the saving power of your word. Thank you for your son who was our propitiation, who died in our place to satisfy your wrath because of our sin, that we could not atone for ourselves. May this word live and breathe, cut and expose, and heal as it does your work for your glory. I thank you for the opportunity to be here with these people today for a new beginning, at least on my end, and to thank you for the faithfulness that is so evident from the past up until this very moment. Lord, bless our time together, our fellowship under your name. We ask this in your name. Amen. Pray with me, please. Our God and our Father, we thank you for yet another time that we can gather here as a body. We thank you, Father, for the people that have been here Uh, And pray, Father, that uh, they might be able to go uh, away refreshed. We pray, Father, that uh, you might help us as Christians, that we might be able to take the gospel to those folks round about us, even through the things that we say, the things that we do, the things that, uh, that matter most. We pray, Father, that they might see that we're all Christians. Now we pray that you'll just be with us here through this week, guide and direct and And pray, Father, that you might also be with Water Missions here, our mission of the week. We pray, Father, that you might be with them as they drill wells for clean water for these folks in foreign lands, that as they do that, they might uh, also be able to present the word to them. Now we pray that you'll just go before us here again, guide and direct in each one of our lives, and we'll be careful to give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen. Now, before you leave, I was told to make a few announcements here. I'm also supposed to say grace, which we'll do that just in a minute. But we're going to have the parents, uh, the ch- your children are supposed to go with you through the line. Okay. I'm also asking that the uh, elderly and the handicapped, let them go into the front there too. I imagine with all the people that I see here that there's going to be a healthy line Okay, going out, and some of them can't stand that, uh, that long. So if you will, bow with me, please, and we'll go ahead and say grace for, the, for our food. 
Our Heavenly Father, we again want to thank you for who you are and what you stand for. We pray, Father, that you might be with us as we go down into the Family Life Center there, Father, for uh, food and for Christian uh, uh, just relationships here, Father. We pray that you just might be with us. We pray that you might bless that food to the nourishment of our body, bless the hands that have prepared it, and we'll be careful to give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen.